listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Strengthen us, encourage us, challenge us. We pray for your word to touch our hearts afresh. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would let your will be done over our church, Elam Church, Northampton. Pray for every person here, those online, Lord, that you would speak to them today, encourage them, and, and we just pray for your will to be done. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Might you say hello to somebody before you sit down, and let's thank, uh, just do that. Thank you, guys. Wow, good morning. Well, it's, um, it's, it's a bit unfamiliar coming back here um, and um, interesting, isn't it? We have people in the chapel, in the overflow also, so it's good to have you. Pleased that you found your way here. Um, we are back at the Old Savoy next week. There will, there will be a few changes in December that we won't have the Old Savoy at all, so we'll let you know the services plan there so we can have a bit more freedom, maybe have two services, but we'll let you know, keep you updated. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we will plan to move in the, the new building. Um, so please keep praying every Thursday. Yeah. Hope so. Keep praying. Change of use is going ahead. Lots and lots and lots of things have to happen before we actually can get in there. So we'll be recruiting eventually all you, put your skills down, everybody else that's available to do loads of things that we need, um, which we'll talk about along the way. Um, but as you see, so much parking there for us, which will not be an issue, over 225 spaces, a lot more room there as well. Um, auditorium on one side it will be over 650, so that's plenty of room for uh, one service and two services in the future. Uh, also, we won't lose our chapel because we've got a plan for that, which is a, a chapel area which is about 170 seats as well. So that's bigger than what we've got there. And loads and loads of space on the same floor for hospitality and also downstairs for the kids and the extra space with the other building as well for future growth with children. So there's lots and lots of room and potential um, for this place. So just keep praying, keep serving. And those of you that have given to the building fund, Thank you so much. If you've not given yet, please, what I'll ask you to do is pray, ask the Lord what gift he would like you to give to the building fund so there's no pressure, just you and Jesus. can. And if you're, you know, obviously if you're married, you need to speak to your spouse. Um, and then just pray about it and let God speak to you about your life, um, how you want to support financially. Okay, if you're here for the first time, welcome. And uh, we also want to say to you, that um, we pray that God will bless your life today and that if you don't know Jesus today and if you're online and you don't know the Lord, you're going to get opportunity to, to experience Christ in your life today. And also, if you are a believer, we're going to have communion at the end of our service. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we've got a plan, um, just like Jesus fed the 5,000. So you need to listen to the instructions at the end of the sermon. Okay, if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Mark. We're going to continue with Better Together. I'm going to speak next week on the... Can we just leave them lights alone, please? I'm getting a bit confused. Sorry. Um, 
just to say that next week I'm going to talk, to ba- talk about the people that you walk with in life. Um, because we can see from this story, very importantly, um, that there are some people that will help you get to Jesus, and there will some people help you leave Jesus. So it's really important who you journey with in your walk following Christ. So Mark 2, 1 to 10 says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there were no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through and then lowering the man on a mat where he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that these men were thinking these things in their heart. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Wouldn't that be amazing that when we come to church that we would leave saying the same things? That the power of God was so evident that people's lives would be forgiven of sins and not only healed and set free from whatever it is that was paralyzing their life, not only physical but also emotional in their lives. Not just come and sing a few songs, listen to a nice word, but the power and the presence of Jesus was in the house. And because of Jesus being in the house, it says that they was amazed and they never saw anything like that. I believe that in our nation, we need to see a move of God like this. We need to see in our gatherings and our meetings that Jesus is evident by his power, that people's lives are transformed. And so I believe that as a church, these four guys show us their mission and Jesus shows us his And so for these four guys represent, I believe, the church, the body of Christ. And because their mission was, number one, was to take their friend to Jesus so he could be healed. That was the main reason why they did what they did. There was no other reason that they got hold of their friend each corner of this sort of um, mat that he was lying on. Could have had four poles on it. But there was no other reason that day that they made the decision to journey to a house where Jesus was so they could take their friend to him. I want to say to us today that what what we are doing in our church and many other churches in Northampton and around, that our mission has not changed. Our mission is to help people get to Jesus. Of all that we do in our services, in all that we do in our community outreaches, in all that we do as individuals, everything, our goal at the end of it is to help people connect to Christ. 
so they can be forgiven of their sins, number one, and also be healed. That whatever in their life restricts them, they can be free to live a life that God has intended for them. And so today, I also pray that if you know Jesus today or if you don't, I pray that in our gathering today that the Holy Spirit would do something in your heart that would change you. That the things that may paralyze you that you've come to church with, that the power of God through his word and the presence of the Holy Spirit will help you and enable you to get up and take your mat and go home. The things which restricted you no longer restricted him because he met with Christ. Didn't meet with the church, didn't meet with a preacher, he met with Jesus. And so whatever we do, we have to make sure that we are pointing people to the one that can free them. No preacher can free you, no matter how great they can preach, no matter how, much, how great they can communicate, only the Holy Spirit can do that. But any preacher or any Christian can point them to the one that can save. And these, man, these men in their, in their thinking, I don't know about their church background, their religious background, but I knew the man on the mat realized that God probably, or the religious leaders probably wouldn't accept him. Because in their thinking, the reason why he's paralyzed is because of his sin. So he's got a, a, um, an understanding in his mind that he's not welcome in church because automatically they know he's in this condition because of his lifestyle or because of his sin. And that's what the religious leaders thought in those days, the Pharisees, Sadducees. And the system would not allow sinners to come near the presence of God. But actually Jesus came for that very reason. But the mission of these four men is our mission today. And I just want to talk about our mission. And next week, I want to talk about the quality of these guys, some of the things that we need in our life if we're going to actually get closer to Jesus and some of the things that we, people that we travel with can actually take us away from Jesus. And it's very difficult in our walk with God because some people are friends in our life, some people are family. But the truth of the matter is that some people in your world right now are not helping you to walk with God. They're not helping you to fulfill your mission. So how do we navigate that? Because Jesus says, you've got to love me first. How do we do that? And the, and the thing is that sometimes we have to come to some decisions in our life that if we're going to follow Jesus, there's some things we have to say goodbye to. Now, I'm not saying that we'll leave our family we're not saying we leave our friends, but the thing is there's sometimes where you have to make some boundaries in your life that will help you to do what God's called you to do because only you will be accountable to what he's asking you to do. You can't blame the person next to you. You can't blame your spouse because God's assigned individual things for us to follow him. But there's something about these men that they carry, but I'll talk about that next week because it's really important. But today... I want to talk to you just briefly about the cost of the mission and also why Jesus actually came. What was Jesus' mission in this? And so when you look at these, the goal of these fellas, and it's the goal of us as a church, you know, that goal of carrying that man to Jesus wasn't easy. There's going to be some effort. There's going to be some commitment. There's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some sacrifice for these men if they were going to carry their friend to the feet of Jesus. And so when we think about our lives as Christians, when you look at the, the journey of these four men, we could say that journey wasn't really spiritual. What, why, why wasn't it spiritual? Because you think there was only, they were carrying, they had to pick up some stuff and carry this man, which, which actually physical commitment, carry him to Jesus. 
And so when you look at that, it might not be spiritual because they came then to the house. And when they came towards the house where they were going, it says that the crowd was so vast that the house was full. It's like coming today and you're looking for a parking space and you're thinking, oh, there's no room, so you go home. These guys could have done the same thing. They said, we've carried in for two miles. We're so worn out. We've had nothing to eat. Look at the crowd. We can't get in. Let's just go home. But these guys were so committed to their friend and so committed of getting him well that they, pers- they persisted in being committed of not letting go of their responsibility for their friend. And so they came to the crowd and they thought, what we're going to do? So they had to have some strategy. I'm not sure if they had a prayer meeting, but they saw some steps on the roofs of those days. The roofs of the houses were flat. And so they would usually have some stairs on the side of them because they used the flat roofs also for fellowship or for just resting or for visitors when they came. So they saw that they had to climb past the crowd, up the staircase, and then they had to get really practical. They had to dig through the roof. Now that doesn't sound spiritual, does it? But what I want you to know is that if we're going to do anything for God, there are some things in our lives that we've got to dig out and it may not seem spiritual. It may not seem glamorous. It may not seem, or wasn't it amazing worship today? Wasn't the word half decent? Um, but you don't realize that before that, before, before this man got healed, before this man had his sins forgiven, there was a lot of hard work in the process of carrying him to the place where he could get be touched by God. And what I want to say to you today is this. When you think about them digging through this roof, and, uh, you know, can you imagine like now if I'm, you know, Jesus is preaching and all of a sudden there's a noise up there and, and there's someone's like making a racket and we're thinking, oh, maybe it's just a bird or something like that. Next minute, that tile falls down and it's, it's Lucas on the head. And then everybody gets disturbed, you know, tell them what is going on, tell them to be quiet, we're trying to listen to the word. And we get distracted and all of a sudden there's, 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 there's eight eyes appear through the light just looking for a landing place. And next minute, some ropes appear and this man is being lowered to front seat. Imagine that. Imagine what Jesus is thinking because the commentators say this could be Jesus' house or one of the disciples' house. Thinking of messing up the roof. <laughs> See, while, while everybody else was praying, these guys were digging. And if they weren't digging, this man could never have come to Jesus. So they lowered this man before Jesus. But I, w- I was thinking, look at the effort that it took for these four men to take this man, their mission to Jesus. And I want to tell you as a church, and what we don't talk about, what we don't think about, I mean, this is the best part of the time of fellowship where we come and we sing, we hear a sermon and we have a cup of tea and we go home. But, but you don't realize there are some people that's been already carrying this morning. There was, there's, there's been years of people carrying for us to have this environment. And there's going to be years of people carrying to have a new environment. But it's, it's, it doesn't look spiritual because it's hard work. They had to roll their sleeves off. They had to take their shirt off. They had to make sure they weren't going to give up. The sweat was pouring. Nobody was looking at them. They weren't writing books. They weren't on God channel. And nobody saw them because they never even mentioned their names. It just said four men. 
But they had to go on a journey of commitment to make sure that this man came to Jesus. And I want to say to you as a church that if we're going to do this mission, if we're going to reach people for Jesus, then it is going to be a challenge. Yes, it's going to be hard work. And there are going to be times where we're going to have to roll our sleeves up and pick up some stuff and carry so we can help people to come to Jesus. On Sunday mornings at the Deco, people go at 8 o'clock and they get out the equipment and they carry it on the stage. People come from the kids' church and they carry their boxes all over that place. Now, not, it's not like this, but people are carrying. Why? Because they're carrying to prepare for people to come to meet Jesus. The sound team are coming. The, the worship team are coming. The welcome team are coming. All these are carriers getting up, making a commitment, don't feel like it when the alarm comes. But the real thing is that, please, whoever you are in this room and online, if you're a carrier, never forget the main reason. It doesn't seem glamorous at the time. I know it's hard work, but when somebody meets Jesus, it's all because that they partnered with your commitment. The preaching bit is easy, but it's getting people to the place of meeting with God, which is the hard thing. Everything that we do in this church is going to take commitment. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take people who don't want a name like these guys to say, here I am, what needs to be done? What needs to be carried so we can help people come to Christ? When you make an altar call and somebody gives their life to Jesus and tears stream down their, their eyes and they go, wasn't that amazing meeting? You have to understand that there were so many people involved in carrying stuff to get that person to that place. If it wasn't for people coming this morning and all you are volunteers that come, there is no way that we've been able to do what we do today to help people and help you and you online today connect with Christ. Because God is going to touch somebody's life today in this room and online. And I want to tell you, it's not just about this bit. It's about the body of Christ, these four guys committed together, willing to take some weight and responsibility because their main purpose was about bringing their friend to Jesus. If we ever forget that, then we lose heart. If we ever forget that, then we, mis we misunderstand why we serve. We don't serve for a position. We don't serve for a title, even though you might get those things in the future. But we serve because our main priority is that we are responsible by God to help people come to the feet of Jesus. And it's not always glamorous. See, these guys also had obstacles. They had a crowd and it was in the way. We've had we have obstacles every week. The cables don't work. The words don't come on right. We forget some things that we should have put together. There's lots of things that many of you don't even know existed before you walk through the door. You know, those people in that room, when that man came to the roof, did not understand the journey that this man was on. They did not even know that he'd been carried for miles by their friends to get to the meeting. And sometimes in church life, if you're not involved, you do not know what goes into the commitment to make things happen. The DARE conference, with over 800 ladies coming with over 45 churches representing around the country, People are going to get saved in that meeting. The effort and the time that it takes to put into that, the hours working behind the scenes and the praying and the frustrations and trying to get people in place. And volunteers wanting to get involved. Why? It's not about how good the conference is. It's about people that's coming there 
who are being carried and brought on buses, people that don't know Jesus. Churches are bringing people who are, don't know Christ, bringing them to a place where they're going to encounter God. But without our volunteers, without all the hard work behind the scenes, without all the planning for months and months and months, then that would never happen. This building project that we're on, the hours and the time, the consuming commitment that's going to take to have a luxury like free parking and more parking and plenty of meetings and, and, and a great environment, that, that does not come without the cost. And someone has to be willing to carry Someone had to say, okay, I'm in. I'm not just going to be a spectator in the next move of this church. I'm going to be committed to whatever it is and I will take my corner. Because if one of those guys dropped their corner, that guy would have struggled to get to Jesus. It takes teamwork, as John Maxwell says, to make the dream work. Not one or two people can make this happen, but the body in this church, if all you in here and those of you in that chapel and those on you online make this church your home, there is no reason why, why, why we cannot carry thousands of people to the feet of Jesus. If we were willing to take a corner of responsibility without the limelight, behind the scenes, when nobody's watching, to do what needs to be done to help people to connect with God. There is no shortcut to that. It just doesn't happen. Meetings doesn't happen. Planning doesn't happen. Building doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Conferencing doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of sweat and tears behind the scene and preparation before the finale. So I'm, my challenge is to us as a church we want those things for not only for us, but for the people that needs to come to Jesus. But it's going to take an army. It's going to take us to be determined like these four men with their mission to receive Jesus. Do you know something? When this man got up and took his mat and went home, I believe the four guys would look at each other and went, now that is worth it. It wasn't before the preach. It wasn't after they dropped him down. It's that when he got up and took his mat and went and showed everybody he was healed and forgiven, then they looked at each other and thinking, now that was worth it. Now that was worth it. I want to tell you, when one person gives a life to Jesus, all heaven rejoices. Now that's worth it. Please, church, whoever you are, do not lose your sight of why we do what we do. We don't do this just for our comfort. We do it because there are thousands of people in Northampton, in your family, in your neighbourhood that need Jesus. And we can be the vessels to help bring them and touch them and speak to them about the goodness of God. But you know, this story wasn't only about the mission of these four guys. It was about the mission of Jesus. This is why this story was wrote. It was actually to show something about Jesus. And the main thing of the mission for Jesus was actually to come to forgive sins. Without the forgiveness of sins, none of you would be here today. If you don't know Jesus, then that doesn't apply to you, but you're here. But what I'm saying to you is that if, if you're here and you know the Lord, if he didn't come for that mission, you wouldn't be here today. He came to forgive sins. You see, that the man and the friends came with the man on the mat because they want him to be physically healed. But Jesus didn't actually deal with his physical healing straight away. Jesus dealt 
with his main need in his life. And it was his sin. The first thing that he said to the man, he says, your sins are forgiven. The guys in the roof could have said, hold on a minute, we've come to see him healed. We know you've healed many others, but you know, we want to make sure. And Jesus just bypassed what they thought they needed. And he dealt with the root of the problem in this man's life first. You see, you can be healed physically, but go to hell. Because the only way you can get to heaven is having your sins forgiven, not being healed of your body. And so Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And that caused a big problem with the religious leaders. Because then they said this in their hearts. This is an amazing story. Only God can forgive sins. This man's blaspheming. And the Bible says that Jesus knew what they were saying in their heart. His spirit told them what they were thinking in their heart. It's amazing, isn't it, the revelation that God gives us, that he knows everything that we're thinking right now. Do you know, while I'm preaching to you right now, there's a conversation going on in your head and your heart right now about what I'm saying to you. It might even be about different things in your life, but all the time that I'm speaking to you and the Word of God is speaking to you, you're having a conversation on your own in your heart. But Jesus knew what they were saying, and he said to them, okay, why do you say these things in your heart? Okay, so which is easier then? Let me deal with your issue. Which is easier, to forgive this man's sins or to tell him to get up and go home? Well, it was easy, wasn't it? Because the thing is, how do you know that your sins were forgiven? Is there any proof that your sins are forgiven? Because the, the, the forgiveness of sins is an internal work. And there is an outcome of, of like sort of proof that a person's sins are forgiven in your life. And there's a few of those things in your life. If, you, if you're forgiven today, if you receive Christ as your saviour, there is a few evidences that that actually has taken place in your life. In that moment, they, they were thinking, hold on a minute, how do we know that he's forgiven if we say that? But it's actually easier if he got healed because then we could see his physical healing. So it makes it just common sense that the easiest thing would be to forgive his sins and the hardest thing would be to heal him. See, see if, you're, if you've been forgiven of your sins, there are some evidences in your life. The first thing is that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you because you can't know God without the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Peter said, repent of your sins in, the, in Acts 2. Repent and believe and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the promise, the Holy Spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit. Once you believe in Christ as your Savior by faith and you trust him, then the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he makes your spirit alive to God. And he comes and lives in you and with you. The evidence that you're a Christian, a born-again Christian, a biblical New Testament Christian, is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul says, anyone without the Spirit of God is not a child of God. Because you can't live for God without God living in you by His Spirit. You can't know God without Him. No one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And so one of the evidences that you're saved is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he, he, he awakens you to the things of God. And what happens is when that happens, then there comes a new desire. A new desire in your life, prompting of the Spirit. A new nature comes within you. Did you know that? When somebody tells me that oh, I am a Christian, and there's, on your old nature, there's nothing changed in your old nature. There's no Christ-like nature come a part of you in your life over five years. Then I'm wondering whether you're really born again. Because something's got to happen. If God lives in you, then, then, then you have authority and God puts to death your old things. You can't live like you used to live 
forever. You can't just go out. Well, you can, but it's uncomfortable now. I remember when I first became a Christian and some of the things that I loved doing, which was not a godly thing, I then begin to think, oh, I don't want to do this anymore because I, I realized that it wasn't the way to live my life that pleased God. And it was the Holy Spirit that convicted me and, and told me and helped me not to do those things anymore, to turn my back on some of those things that I was aware of now wasn't right. Before, I didn't even know they were wrong. And even though that there were some times that I participated in some of those things, I could not leave that moment knowing that I shouldn't be doing those things. How does that happen? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that teaches. He's the one that convicts. He's the one that leads you into all truth. And so if you've not received the Holy Spirit today, then I want to tell you, you can do that. First of all, you have to trust Jesus as your Savior. Open your life and receive the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that the Father has promised. And also, a new nature comes within your life. Something starts to process. You're not perfect, but Christ's nature begins to rub off on you on the inside and things begin to change in your life. So you become looking more like Jesus than your old life. And you know, some, the shame is that some Christians still live in that old nature a lot of the time. They still choose to live like they used to live before they knew God. And it does you no good whatsoever. Number one, it offends God and it messes up your life because Jesus came to die for your sin. So you could live a new life of freedom in your life. Peter says, these, through these, he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. He makes you to know him. You know God's alive. He reveals it through his scripture. He convicts, he leads, he prompts, and also he convicts. He helps you to know the nature changes. You say, I don't want to do that anymore. Your appetite for old sins evaporate unless you feed them because we always can go back to the things that we conquered when we first come to Jesus. But we have to live in the promise that Christ set you free from the power of sin. And you can't do it in your own willpower. It has to be done in his power. And it comes through repentance, saying, Lord, I need your power. I need your help. And then finally, it gives you a new desire and a new assurance. A new desire for what? A new desire to love God, the God that you never even knew was alive. When I went to church to cause trouble for my father, I didn't, I didn't even know if God existed. And within one hour, I ended up giving my life to God and seeking him from that day on. One minute, didn't even know God existed. The next minute, I'm a total, 100% committed seeker of this God that revealed his love to me. Just like many of you in this room. A new desire to find God, love God, because you can't love him without, you know, without he comes in your life to help you because he first loves you so you can love him back. A new desire to love God and secondly, a new desire to love other people. It's interesting, isn't it? That the love for other people, where does that come from? It has to come from God. 
For God so loved the world. What? He loved us so much that when you come to know him, not only did he come to love God, but he downloads his compassion and his heart for other people. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't love your enemies. Only his love in you can help you do that because of what he's done to you. I think John says this, how can you say that you love God that you can't see when you can't even love the people that you can? The proof is that you are born again, is that you have the ability to love people. You can't disconnect that from loving God. You can't tell me that you love God and you hate people. That just doesn't work in Jesus' book. But we need God to help us, don't we? We need God to help us love him more and love others more. And that comes by the Holy Spirit. And it gives us a new assurance, a new confidence. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live your life in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about adoption to sonship. And we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies of our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 1 John says, I write these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. God gives you assurance when you give your life to him. And the spirit of God sealed you of his approval for that day of redemption. He sets his seal of ownership on you, giving you assurance of eternal life. Jesus said, what's easier? To forgive him of sins or to tell him to get up and be healed and go home? So he said, okay. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately the man stood up and was totally healed and the religious leaders couldn't breathe. Because what Jesus was saying this, my demonstration that I have authority to forgive sins that just healed the man that you thought that his disease came around because of sin. And the only way he could be healed if his sins were dealt with. And now he's totally healed. And he said, I have done this to show you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus was saying that he was deity, that he was God incarnate. And then the religious leaders tried to kill him. So the main mission of Jesus' church is to forgive us of our sins. It's not, thank God that he blesses us. Thank, thank God that he heals us. Thank God that he delivers us. Thank God for all the benefits that God gives us. But you know the priority of why God came? He came to save you from your sins. From judgment at the end of the day. He took the wrath of God on himself to pay the price so we could be forgiven. That's the mission of Jesus. And on the overflow of that is healing, blessing, breakthrough in our lives.